Welcome on, thank you for tuning in to the Battle Embrace FC podcast, where we talk all things soccer in the DMV. My name is Jose Omania, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me is our co-host, Mario Maya from Etiapo Latino. Mario, how's it going today? Hey, I'm doing all right. It's raining, it's pouring, and I am just here, just chilling. As long as we have better internet signal than Ryan Nelson, I think we'll be fine. Anywho, <laughs> anywho, before we get into Ryan Nelson and Dana Kovalenko and Salmon, we will we have so many topics to get into. Starting off with is a current player on DC United is Bill Hamid. Now, Mario, before we get too in depth, you know what have you been thinking about Bill Hamid during quarantine? Before we get to his latest escapade. Bill Hamid has been amazing throughout this entire thing, to be honest with you. He's been great. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. You should follow. It's a great follow. He's been doing amazing things throughout this entire quarantine, especially in the last couple of weeks. And and I think it's more than just the entertainment aspect that we'll get into in a second. He's been a champion of, you know, going out there and going to vote and, you know, exerting your rights and stand up for D.C. and things like that, Black Lives Matter. But that's not what we're here to talk about. You see, Bill made a little bit of news when he came out in a deleted tweet uh, criticizing the MLS's back tournament. Quote, I have no problem with the Orlando tournament. I'm looking forward to playing with it. However, this is me saying however. (laughs) <laughs> now here's the quote to lock us in our in a disney campus like we're in jail or like us as grown men don't know how to live freely or still protect ourselves and our teammates is ridiculous we aren't children that need to be supervised i don't agree with being locked in a campus and i said that from the beginning i know how to wear a mask and social distance myself from other people we agreed to this tournament, and we agreed to stick our nose, have sticks stick up our noses every two days. Now I believe we deserve the respect to not be locked up and treated like animals or in a jail. Now, Bill did get some pushback that caused him to delete the tweet. One of them was in his story that same day, there was a video of him hugging what looked to be family members at a barbecue, but people said, Mr. Social Distancing over here. And so it, <laughs> it, caused, him, it caused him to delete it. But um, before we get into the semantics of what's going on, actually going to happen at the Orlando tournament, Mario, what did you think of Bill's comments about what, and what he said? Well, he took the Alejandro Bedoya approach on the, in, the, in that deleted tweet. So there is that. I think I think it's a it, it's somewhat of a valid point. Um, he is expressing his just like Alejandro Bedoya before him. He is expressing his concerns, but also if the hours later you come to find out that you have an Instagram story where you're hugging a family member and not practicing social distancing, it kind of comes off as a catch twenty two. My only problem with what he did is that MLS is wrong here. <laughs> I don't have a problem with what he said. I had, I didn't have a problem originally with Paul, with with, uh, with uh, Alejandro Bedoya said either. My thing was, dude, we're in the middle of contract negotiations. Don't mess this up. But now that the contract is done, my problem with I don't have a problem with Bill said because Bill's right. Like if you're following sports right now, we're watching the Bundesliga. These guys are living their lives as long as they're practicing social distancing. They're able to be tested and be playing. You know. Joe Rogan brought this up at the UFC. The guys are able to get tested, but as long as they're with their teams and they're all clean, they're fine. They're able to go to a steakhouse and eat steak. They're able to walk around in the beach, you know, and they were able to practice social distancing from everyone else that wasn't a part of their group. And those groups are of eight to 10 people. Now, yes, soccer teams are bigger, but, you mean to tell me we're we're paying for player personnel and nobody wants to take these guys to Target to make sure they have the proper things that they're going to need during this month, month and a half? Even at a World Cup, because this is being pitched as a World Cup-styled event, there are off days. Players are able to go out. Players are still able to explore this magical country. These guys won't even have a ticket to Disney World. And they're right next door to Disney World. Which you know? is sad, 
mean, you should experience Disney World once in your life, but we're in a pandemic, so that's a whole different story. <laughs> but I think I find it fascinating, though, is that I think he brought it up. You're telling grown men what to do? Uh, that kind of, that's kind of counterintuitive in some in some aspects or another. Now, here's what the league has leaked out and given to the Athletic this week about what's going to happen at the Orlando tournament, answering some of Bill's concerns or not answering. So play, uh, members of the league delegation or teams will not be able to leave the hotel or the wide world of sports complex on their own volition. The league has, they will have some off-site activities that they can participate in. Um, golf is rumored to be one of those. However, it has, it's going to be tightly controlled by the league. The bubble will not be entirely closed off because the staff will be able to go home. The staff who work at the hotel, who work at the Wild World of Sports, they won't be quarantined. Um, media, it hasn't been decided what's going to happen with media. But from what I understand, talking to a, a person, you would go in. You have to be already tested. MLS hasn't decided if media is going to receive tests. So you're going to have these limited media members that you're not sure are asymptomatic or not. Um, also, uh, the deli- people, like Don Garber said, the key point is the staff will not be coming in close contact with our players. And so they would be able to be managed by a different protocol. That sounds like something Disney said, hey. <laughs> our staff is our staff. You're not going to rule our staff. Um, but what did you think, hearing about that, and then, you know, the leaks came out yesterday about what's going on with the NBA and their situation. How do you think MLS is handling this? Because Bill's not the first player to bring this up. <laughs> Interesting, but yeah, you're kind of, again, to piggyback on Bill, you're kind of just like limiting them to do certain things and i think for them beforehand you're able to do pr- pretty much whatever you want without certain restrictions here and there it, it kind of um it kind of want it kind of messes up that experience like what if you do want to explore the city of orlando things that you don't get to do during the regular season prior to the coronavirus like getting to see orlando the city not just the resorts or maybe you do want to walk around Disney World outside of the outside of the ESPN wide world of sports campus. It kind of eliminates that, kind of eliminates that in in a way. And I see why some players are a little bit dismissive to to them. Also, if we're going to take something out of what the NBA is proposing, I would love to see players watching other teams play each other in the stands during during these games. That would be pretty fascinating. Yeah, they haven't even announced, like, what's the protocol is going to be. And if you're going to – if this is going to be, like, AYSO, DC scores, or traveling teams, or academy style, shoot, I want to be able to – if you're, if I can't do anything and my game is the 7, 8 o'clock game and I have two options, I can go back to the to the dorms, essentially, or I can go – or I can <laughs> stay and watch the West Coast 10.30 game, I'll stay and watch the 10.30 game. Might as well. I'm already here. I'm not going to go, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, like, let's say hypothetically speaking, D.C. United plays that early game, that 8, 9 o'clock game. After that, like, after that game, you got until 11 until sundown to do something. Like, you, <laughs> you can go back to sleep. Like, that's going to suck. Like, you're going to want to do something. At least, like. Give them tickets to Disney World. Have them be the guinea pigs until they open the park or something. Like, shoot, I'm just saying. Like, allow them to do something. Have Chris Adui at you. Have Chris Adui at him and Bill Hamid ride the teacup off, teacups off at Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that that's kind of that's kind of like if that is the protocol, that's kind of terrible. Like, what am I supposed to do for the rest of the time I'm here? I don't want to be cooped up inside inside my dorm essentially what do you want me to do it's either watch a game or watch television and it's summertime so i kind of want to walk around and explore and if you take that away from them and you see you see some of the disgruntledness coming from players that are expressing their concerns right and i think what's gonna if i'm a fan i'm looking at it as like because fans look always look at things like this way my season tickets pay for this or that. If I'm going to be a, a cynical fan here, 
each team has a player, a person in charge of player operations. What is their job when they go to Orlando? Just to make sure they have the team meal? Like, why can't this guy or gal drive them to Target, Target to sponsor? What Do what they do for the old people. Open the thing early so that they can go in there and shop for F's sake. It's, it's all I'm saying. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that also defeats the purpose of having player personnel. And so you're you're killing a couple of different uh, different tasks for for teams altogether by impl- implementing this rule, even though it's not to- it's not been a totally announced what the protocol is. But if this is part of it, then yeah, all defeats the purpose. Also, I don't know about you. I'm I don't play golf. Yeah, neither, do, neither do I. <laughs> so that eliminates that. I've never been. I've never heard of until recently of the Dolphin and Sea Resort. This was outside of my Disney. <laughs> I didn't know this place existed, and so it was interesting. I was, I was today years old until you told when you told me about this. So I don't know what's on there. It's not like the other Disney resorts where it's got like. You know, like the, you know, it's in the waterfront. It's right there next to, uh, it's not called Downtown Disney uh, anymore, but the little downtown area that they created next to the parks is not near that. Heck, can I at least go to Downtown Disney? I like to go, you know, to Emilio Stefan's uh, restaurant. I won't go to Bongo's again. Bongo's tastes delicious. I'm just saying. (laughs) Like, can you give me access to something? Like, geez, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Give these guys a little bit of breathing. That's all I'm saying. Right, and if not Disney World, yo, let me go explore the city of Orlando itself. I want to see what it has to offer. At least ride the high. Can they at least ride the big Ferris wheel? Can they at least ride that? (laughs) (laughs) I heard if you're at least in the same group, you would only be the only ones in that carriage. Like... I would love to fit 11 footballers in one carriage, but I agree. Um, <laughs> the announcement of Bill's anger comes as during the weekend, DC United announced that one of their players tested positive. This also came during the same weekend that they announced that they were going back to full team training. United said that, quote, the player did not participate in the Black Lives Matter tribute at Audi Field where they had guests from DC scores and city representatives and things like that. But there have been concerns that have been brought up about did DC United break HIPAA law or were they just covering their butts in case someone at, who went to that event caught the Rona a week later. Mario, what are your thoughts on first United's forthrightness of announcing a player caught the coronavirus, but not releasing their name, but at the same time, almost leaking that this player did not participate in one of their events and having internet sleuths, not just us apparently, but others (laughs) (laughs) looking to figure out who the player was. Uh, So I get protecting the player's identity that, uh, that contracted coronavirus uh, I've seen this. This has been many a, a case with other teams in other sports whose whose players have gotten have caught COVID nineteen. They withheld their name, but man, it does lead to internet sleuthing. I, I'm pretty sure all of us did it just to figure out who it is. And you break it down to one cult, to one person. You break it down, and then you kind of figure out who it is, but. I think they handled it pretty well, but also, but also, if you narrow it down to one, and especially you'd saying that, saying that they weren't at the Black Lives Matter uh, event that they had last weekend, it, it it opens up for interpret, it opens up for interpretation for who exactly it is. Right, I understand being that they have they have a lot of kids. If you look at the photos and the video, they had a, about not count counting our academy kids. That's on the team, but like they had about five to seven DC scores representatives. They had members of all three supporter groups there, and they had uh, team staff. But and also a couple players did bring their kids to this event as well. In particular, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, you're you're putting yourself in a 
yes, I understand why they probably put that out there. Um, because I read the press release, was like, why did they have to put this out here? But I could see why. Like, if I'm a parent who allowed their child to be a part of this DC scores uh, message, you know, for the city, and it was a great message, but it just also underlines like. We're still in this coronavirus situation. Like, yeah, we were mocking MLS like two minutes ago. But we still are in this situation where, you know, it's still a scary time for people who have compromised immune systems or who are asymptomatic and don't know they have the coronavirus. And they pass it along to their mother or their father who is or, you know, compromised. So I get why they did it. It's just. It came off a little clumsy in my book. Uh, I wouldn't have even said a player. I would have said a member of our DC United team. I would have did so much PR speak so that people wouldn't have realized it was not. It was a player. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was like whoever. Security. Keep, people, keep people guessing. Like um, <laughs> just, you can word it: a member of our staff or a member of the DC United family has <laughs> has contracted COVID nineteen. Plain and simple. <laughs> And right. I'm, not, I'm not saying that they, it was bad, that they did a bad job. You know, they did what they had to do, and that's fine. But when you say that it's a player and they weren't at this event, it leads to major speculation and process of elimination if you did your sleuthing. Yeah, if you did your sleuthing altogether. Well, but not even just that. It's just like... If you're a parent and let's say you allowed your child because the DC scores the way it works, and I don't know if this is what happened at this event, but the way it works is a DC scores representative. If you're a part of these kids that get picked for like these events or whatever that doesn't involve your whole team, DC scores normally picks you up. So the so your parent signs off for you to go. Now I would hope in this case a parent wouldn't be in these times would be like, yeah, go ahead, take my kid, go to Audiville. I would hope the parent was at least there, maybe sitting in the stands or something. But normally the way DC scores events work is someone will pick up your child at your school. They'll pick up every kid that's participating at their local school as like a pickup point. And then they will go to what back in the day was RFK or uh, American University or Gallaudet, wherever these DC Scores events are going to be, and then they're all together as one. So hopefully, if if I was a parent, and then over the weekend I hear DC United player caught the coronavirus, I'm thinking, is my kid got the coronavirus? So I understand why United felt like they had to say that, but a I wouldn't have announced that it was a player. Like you said, I would have probably said it was a family member of the DC United family or, you know, make, make it less obvious or two, just contact DC scores, say, Hey, call the kids of parents, let them know, Hey, we're letting you know in private, we're going to make this announcement. We're going to, you know, give them the advance notice before everybody else, because it felt like that announcement just came out as soon as test results were revealed. Right, and also the uh, the announcement came out of nowhere. Came out on a Saturday in the middle of the day. So, but yeah, I understand why they had to put it on there, out there. But I feel like you should before you release the press the, the the press release. I feel like you could have uh, told the told DC scores, and they could have told the parents, "Hey, listen, some a member of the DC United staff or player or player caught." COVID-19, but he was not at this event. Right, exactly. Speaking of attempting to put minds at ease, it wasn't put minds at ease when it was announced that Kevin Durant, uh, basketball star, PG native here from the area, was buying a stake in the Philadelphia Union. A, a report came out a year and a half ago that Kevin Durant was interested to buying DC United twice. And both times, one time he reneged it. The second time, the DC United was like, "Your offer is not high enough." Um, but he's now signed. He has now bought five percent ownership of the Philadelphia Union with an opportunity to buy five more percent. Mario, what are your thoughts on KD, this area, you know, superstar, electing to go where I think almost every DC United person ends up going? The Philadelphia Union. <laughs> Congratulations, KD. You took the route of 
many former DC United uh, DC United fans that resided in the city of Philadelphia. Um, the fact that both parties reneged at one point in time for him to take a stake at the ownership at ownership of DC United is kind of mind-boggling, especially considering that a KD is an aerial legend. This is he's a he's an NBA superstar from the area. It would have made sense for him to invest in a local team, but given the circumstances in both of those times, like it wasn't meant to be. And so I find it fascinating that he vent that he decided to enter this venture uh, to take a minority stake in the Philadelphia Union. In the Philadelphia's case. It's a good it's a good thing, especially considering that you have someone as Kevin Durant investing in your club or in your ownership group. It gives it a it gives it a bigger platform for them to expose for them to um the word I'm looking for here. Exposure gives them exposure. Exposure, thank you. It gives them expo it gives them more exposure. And you also get Kevin Durant um getting uh, giving uh, Kevin Durant a the, the foothold that he needs to go into if he wants to be a majority owner of either a soccer club or another sports franchise. Yeah, I mean, it's smart investment on him. Does it suck that, you know, DC United's on the list of dozens of people and clubs and teams that Kevin Durant has said no to? Need I remind you that when he was a free agent, he gave the Wizards a hell no before they even <laughs> thought about trying. So, you know, look, no. Or, He's like, no, I'm going to Oakland. Screw that. <laughs> exactly. So, look, I, look, I think it would have been cool. But, you know, because I, I see James Harden, you know, James Harden's out here rocking Houston Dynamo jerseys, like, you know, T-shirts, essentially. And so, you know, uh, it would have been cool, sure. But I think, especially in the 2008, according to The Athletic, uh, Paulo Mauro wrote a good story on this. 2012. To that, well, that was the first time. The second time was the 2018. And the thing is, that's when Wayne Rooney had came. And like, KD's trying to get a hometown discount. And I'm like, dude, you don't even play soccer. And we're not going to give you a discount. <laughs> like, it just opened out, he feels. Like, back in 2012, like you said, I could totally see where, you know, we had Christian Leitner once as a part owner. Like, I'll, I would have been fine. <laughs> so, so I would have been fine with KD. But I think at the end, at the time, Tohir was trying to sell. And he wanted a big offer. And even if it's a minority stake, you know. We, we hear it all the time in, in the Premier League where someone will buy some random, you know, Asian company ends up buying like 2% of Arsenal and it cost them $700 million. Not saying the DC United like 5% will count as that, but if you're, you can't, you, you can't with a new stadium, a high profile player, all this new attention and buzz, you can't expect a discount. And so I'm not, I mean, good on him. I hope the adventure goes well. Uh, I hope to see him at a couple Audi field games. Uh, rocking that terrible blue jersey, and um, yeah, wish him luck. I uh, <laughs> wish him luck. I hope Ovi buys at least a two percent stake at DC United because he's been to a couple of games and he likes it here. So why not? <laughs> First off, could you imagine the combinations of just Philadelphia Union jerseys and a pair of KDs that Kevin Durant will have? This, the combinations <laughs> with the sneakers would be fire. <laughs> glad you look at the positive thing. Like, I'm glad about that. And you worked at Nike, and so you kind of have an idea. I I look at it as okay, cool. Another one that says no. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Just adds it to the list. Um, from that amazing fun topic, we have one sad news to report for DC United fans. Uh, back in January, I and a couple of other Honduran reporters had announced that that uh, former DC United Academy star Andy Nahar was set to come back to MLS and possibly DC United. Those hearts and dreams were dashed as it was announced yesterday officially that LAFC will be having the Honduran play for them. All right, what are your thoughts on 
Andy breaking our souls and going to that dark black and gold army over in Atlantis. Uh, um, so I curled up in a ball and cried. Of course, uh, it, was, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but no, it kind of made sense for him to go to LAFC. Uh, you know, it's his first bet. He spent a number of years in Belgium. Uh, it would give him a chance to get himself reacclimated to the league. Yeah, DC United would have been a wonderful landing spot for him. It would have been like the homecoming for him. Because if for those that don't know, he grew up here in the area. He's from Alexandria, Virginia. So, but the problem with that is, is he would be playing out in the wings. And one thing that DC United does not really lack of at the moment is wingers, both on the defensive end of the of the, of the on the defensive end and and in the midfield. So it would come down to who do you take out? Because you can't. You're not going to replace Joseph Mora, who's currently playing the, on the at right back. And also, you're not going to take out Yamil Assad at the moment or Edison Flores. So it's a kind of a catch-22, and it would be a battle for him to gain minutes. So it wouldn't be fair to him or fair to any other of the other players to try to battle for to get minutes with, with Andy Nahar. So at the end of the day, him going to LAFC, where he's going to have a little more opportunity to get playing time, makes sense in the, long, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, LAFC has lost a couple wingers um, to the expansion draft as well as just, you know, free agency. So they needed a winger. They've had Andy there since January because Andrew, like I said, look, you need playing time. We're not going to give you playing time because of his injuries. He's He's been on and off with injuries the past three seasons. And so he really needs playing time. And so Andrew, like, you know, I think they he only had half a year left on his contract anyway. So good on LAFC. They get a good player that they didn't have to pay a transfer fee for. And um, and uh, and with the league only playing two games, like they're going to essentially have him for a full season, which is great. Like you said, and they've had him in the camp the whole winter, so they know what they're getting. Yeah, while it sucks that it couldn't have happened for DC United, I think, like you said, it's a good move. For LAFC, it's a good move for Andy. The only negative, if you're a DC United fan, that you need to pay attention to going forward. When DC United makes these deals and they sell these young players, they always have a, a clause that says, a buy, when you sell that player, we get an X amount. With Andy's deal, DC United was going to receive 20% of that deal, if I recall the numbers correctly. So, and remember, after his second year in Anderlecht, it was rumored that Arsenal was interested. Some Italian clubs were interested. Anderlecht didn't sell. So, DC United may have lost the potential of an additional 2 to $10 million, depending on what the deal would have been. And, you know, now thinking about it and knowing how the climate currently, it would have been interesting to see if, A, Andy would have been sold then or even sold now. If maybe LAFC had to buy, had to purchase his contract, how much would LAFC technically be giving DC United in order to get this guy? So that's the only negative that we could have gotten some cash out of it. We didn't, uh, but Andy gets to get a restart his career at a good club, and I wish him all the best. Same here. I wish him all the best, and hopefully he he finds. Um more success than he did that he has the last couple of seasons that he had in Belgium. Exactly. From successful to unsuccessful. (laughs) Let's talk about U.S. soccer because they finally got some success but then got some backlash and didn't turn out so successful. So for those who don't know, uh, we kind of mentioned it last week on the show. U.S. soccer announced that they are with drawing or removing uh, one of their policies that told players and athletes representing U.S. soccer that they had to stand during the national anthem. It was a response to Megan Rapino, who was uh, kneeling during her club games. After this was announced, uh, the lovely president of these United States, Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> announced, quote, I will not be watching them anymore. He said he would essentially he would not be watching any sport where athletes are allowed to protest 
and kneel during the national anthem. He also went out to the NFL. Um, but this is mainly because, and this guy is getting a lot of attention. This is mainly because of Representative Matt Gates, I think his name is. Uh, yeah. Matt Gates. He not only said, quote, I'd rather not have a U.S. soccer, U.S., the United States have a soccer team. I'd rather the United States not have a soccer team than have a soccer team that won't stand for the national anthem, unquote. He said he plans to, and what a waste of my tax dollars here. He, <laughs> <laughs> he plans to draft to make players stand during the national anthem. Trump has eased off a little bit uh, since making this announcement. Uh, Gates hasn't. Mari, what are your thoughts on not just U.S. soccer making their decision to cancel the, the protesting uh, policy, but as well as the response it received? Okay, so first off, uh, I had to research who on earth Matt Gates was because my first answer to the question was, and to quote the great Kid Marrow, whose man's is this? <laughs> so it's not the first time he's done something like this. Uh, the U.S. soccer's response was, finally, you, you, you finally arrived at a point where you see where the protests come from. And so them allowing it, it's good. It's a, it's a good thing. Because, again, just like the NFL four years ago, they didn't have proper understanding of why Colin Kaepernick and Megan Rapinoe were kneeling during the flat, during the national anthem. And so for them to finally come to that understanding of it's not disrespecting the flag, it's in response to police brutality. They're like, it's fine. You know, it also supports um, the right to assemble and pro to protest, you know, if I'm remembering the First Amendment correctly. So I find it interesting that this man wants to, to sue and be like, I'm going to make it law for you to stand during the national anthem. I, I was like, okay, you're infringing, you're infringing on your basic rights as an American. And also, have you even... Do you even know who half the players for U.S. soccer is? That, that's my other question for for Matt Gates. And as for Donald Trump, I was like, okay, it's just another tweet of his. I'm going to keep it rolling. To that, that's what I was thinking when I saw Gates' stuff. I was surprised at how much attention it was honestly getting. It was absurd about the attention it was getting because all the attention – and I actually tried to do this, and more people should do it more often is escape your bubble see what other people are saying i was actually kind of stunned at the amount of responses of bots and the amount of responses <laughs> from actual americans and americans going you're not listening that was the whole point of these past three weeks was to listen and the reason that they're allowing these players canceling this policy is like you said, allowing players to voice their right to free speech and protest. And the protest is not about the flag. Like, we just roasted a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew, in Drew Brees for not understanding it. They roasted him so bad, they roasted him into two apologies. Yeah, two apologies and telling Trump, <laughs> I don't need yours. Like, that's, that's how bad it got. And so... <laughs> it's, so that's how bad it got and to the point where Gates is like oh I'm going to force him to stand to what you say houseway it, like, this is not a US soccer is not a part of the US Olympics where you the US government provides some kind of like money to US Olympic sports no US soccer federation is separate they do their own thing they're a non-profit supposedly but they they're, they're, they're essentially a private business. How are you going to tell private business what to do with its employees? Like, you can't, unless, you know, it, you can't do it. It's essentially, it was just a, it's just to get noise. I thought it was political fodder. But, you know, for, to be honest, it actually allowed us to illustrate the fact that 
MLS was right on something. It's a miracle. We started the show roasting MLS, and we're going to get to the middle point, end point, saying MLS was right, because MLS was like, yeah, you guys can protest. Who cares? The fact that MLS was ahead of the game is amazing. (laughs) And the other thing is, we're in an election year, so this clearly has to be a political ploy. So at the end of the day, I'm just like, Okay, you, you don't even represent me, sir. You're a representative in the state of Florida. And again, who are you until I did what I found this out on Friday? And then I did a little more research thanks to Twitter because there's videos of him getting roasted on a weekly basis by other, by other representatives. Yeah, the guy, we just come to find out, like, the guy is basically all smoke and all angry smoke. That's all it is. So, again, this is more of a political ploy than it is, than it is you know, how dare you disrespect the flag according to him. It got to the point where, where I tried to read his, what he was going to draft as legislation. And I want... If you live in Florida and you listen, you watch or listen to this podcast, please uphold them to this. I want to see this bill because when you click his website, it's a photo of Megan Rapino kneeling, but you can clearly see Megan Rapino is not even wearing U.S. soccer gear; she's wearing her club gear. So it goes back to what I'm saying about it felt body to me it didn't feel authentic to me and it kind of goes to the way this the world is now where it's like if it isn't authentic i don't want to hear from you and like you said like people are now taking trump's tweets as just political fodder and that's good and i think now we're having a smarter audience than we had before but also as like we we hope that this country starts to realize its mistakes and also like u.s soccer I was stunned to hear uh, Cindy Parlo Cone say, I apologize to Megan Rubino. I apologize to people who wanted the protest. I was stunned by that. And so, you know, if U.S. soccer is more accountable than our politicians, that's a problem, (laughs) (laughs) honestly. And so I hope that people who aren't supportive of politics in general, I don't want to talk a lot of politics. I don't. But I would hope that we start moving forward being a smarter country in terms of when we hear this stuff, we see this stuff, take it like you said, as a way to win votes. Right. And if you have a hot take, maybe do your research first. That, that's, that, that, that's the main point that we're going to get at to that. Do your research. Well, we're going to end this on a high note. We spoke a lot of politics. We roasted MLS. We highlighted MLS. I didn't expect to do that today. <laughs> so we're going to end on a high note. Um, DC and I have been having these, these happy hour, essentially Zoom calls with players. Um, it started off as one-on-ones. Now they're getting legends in. And I love that they're getting the legends involved as we get closer to games because a lot of teams were doing the legends first, then the current players. And you'd rather have the current players focus on practice. But it's good to relive some memories. And the panel for this week was a special one. We had former captain Ryan Nelson from the 2004 MLS Cup champions with uh, goalkeeper Nick Romando and, of course, happy-go-lucky Ben Olsen. Uh, <laughs> well, before we get into what was said and some of the revelations, Mario... I was a young kid, but I remember 2004. It was like the very first true season as a kid. Like I was heavily, fully, I was always invested, but this was the first year where I'm listening to Radio America because I don't have cable and I need to watch everything that happens this season. I'm watching the MLS soccer, soccer Saturday game of the week every week um, on ABC. I'm watching every little thing that's happening with the league, and I just got emotionally invested with the squad. But what do you remember that season and how, as a fan as well as, like, your memory of what this season was? I was pretty heavily – I was 
pretty heavily invested on in this season in particular, just because the year prior I had lived in Texas at the time, Houston to be exact. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really have cable. And also there was no there was no MLS team in Houston. The closest one was FC Dallas at the time, the Dallas Bird. So I didn't really get to watch a lot of MLS that year. So it was more like me catching up to everything, to everything going on in MLS. So I was heavily invested in that. Unlike you, poor, I did have cable at the time, so I could, so I could watch, so I could watch a little more DC United games on Comcast Sportsnet at the time. Um, and I, so I got heavily, a lot more invested, especially because Freddie Adu was on the team again. Fourteen-year-old phenom signed to DC United. Also, Jaime Moreno was back. And if you are from a Salvadoran household. Ronald Cerritos was on the team. So was Eliseo Quintanilla. So you know you had you had ways to be invested on the team in the team and you get to learn you got to learn some of the newer players that were on that team. So all in all, like just getting to watch it is like more of like a reintroduction for me to MLS once again. And so that's probably one of my bigger memories of the 2004 season. Oh, then DC United winning the MLS Cup, of course. Sorry to correct you because the moment you said that, I was like, no, 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 no. At least Elkitania was on the team, but Ron Cerritos left at the 2002 season. All right, my bad. <laughs> Anywho, no, it, um, yeah, no, I, I, moment of the day, by the way. <laughs> but, but, um, no, I agree with you. Like, I remember going to school and I had just, Again, call me poor if you want, but I didn't have like I I didn't have internet, I didn't have cable, so I didn't even know my favorite player was coming back to the team, Jaime Moreno. Jaime Moreno was my favorite player the year before. He was at the New York New Jersey Metro Stars because of a trade, and he said he was there. I'm pretty positive that man stayed in Arlington, drove up midway to the Jersey Turnpike, and called and said, "Hey, I can't make it. I'm injured," and went back home. There's there for those who are real DC United students, there is a Tony Lamarzi interview that Jaime did before his final game where he admits that at some points he would drive back and forth. So you are kind of right there, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, 2004, you know, I found out that Jaime was coming back on Radio Medic. I found out, but you know, I was like, great, but. It was when I got, like you said, I got back to school and everybody's talking about Freddie Adu. Everybody's talking about this boy wonder Freddie Adu. And it wasn't until, like, I was able to get on a computer in my elementary school and finally learn how to use a Mac to access the internet to, I was like, who is this kid? And I was like, oh, this is Freddie Adu. And so I guess, like, like you, like, you, everybody's talking about him. You want to see him. You see some highlight videos. And you're like, okay. But well, he's 14. This is going to be interesting. And so, you know, you know, uh, Marco Echeverri was gone. Eliseo Quintanilla was supposed to be, you know, that rock. He was supposed to be that center midfielder for D.C. or at least play on the wing. And he gets hurt in preseason out for the whole season and kind of leads us into this happy hour video. Um, how did you think of what Ryan, Nick, and Ben said about the season, how they felt they were always a combustible group, but there were a group of personalities that knew how to handle each other, and that helped to lead them to the championship. I was like, first off, look who was on that team that year. Mike Peck, <laughs> Demo Kovalenko, Jaime Moreno, injured Eliseo Quintanilla, Christian Gomez midway through the season. Ben Olsen, Ryan Nielsen, they were all coached by another combustible element in Peter Nowak. (laughs) So the fact that they actually were able to handle it is pretty amazing. And it also shows the testament to what that team was. Yes, they they were guys that were temperamental at times. But, you know, at the same time, they were able to come together and gel as a team. Right, I think it was Ryan who kind of brought it up, where it was like, they were a nice mix of 
guys that are fully responsible adults, people who want to prove themselves in the sophomore and rookie players, and this aging veteran class that are like, not that they're here so they won't get fined, but we're here, and these younger doofs better not mess up a championship for me. You know, I I enjoyed hearing about Demokovalenko essentially betting with the younger players all their money that he can hit. Because for those who don't know, Demokovalenko is a madman. <laughs> I have seen this madman in person. That is not a human. That is a, That's a specimen. And what I mean is they don't make these humans no more. He bet players hundreds of dollars that he can header a medicine ball a hundred times off a wall. I haven't worked out in a while, but I know how heavy a medicine ball is. I'm not betting that man, that crazy man. Why would he even say this to me? This is a I'm I'm set up to lose. <laughs> set up to lose. Good second off. I'm surprised that man didn't walk out with a concussion. That we know of. <laughs> <laughs> also he took $100 in pennies from Aleko Eskandarian? That much. I want to know that bet. Like, they didn't reveal that bet. I was upset. I was like, oh, no, you got to tell me what happened here. You got to tell that. That's almost like, how on earth do you get $100 in pennies? And also, you're like, how do you drag $100 in pennies around? We're talking about Demo Kovalenko. That man is beyond his rocker. And I love him for it, to be honest with you. Like, this is how combustible the elements were. You had Peter Novak, who was known as a fiery figure when he played in his first head coaching job. And my favorite story of the whole thing was before a road game against uh, Kansas City Wizards, back then they were the Wizards, Demo Kovalenko gets food poisoning after eating salmon for breakfast. He can't play. DC loses. At the end of the game... You have Peter Novak come in there and just start screaming, why are you eating fucking salmon for breakfast? <laughs> they don't have oceans here, is the exact <laughs> quote. And Ryan is telling this story, and he's like, and as the captain, I have to stand there and yell at my teammate. But my teammate is looking at me like, you mother bleeper. You ate salmon with me. <laughs> so, so how are you then yelling at me for eating the same salmon you ate for breakfast? And so, it was those kind of elements. And, and they just had enough personalities that didn't give a F but wanted to win. Captains and leaders that wanted to win at all costs and youth that wanted to prove themselves. You know, Freddie Adu, by four, even at 14, he wanted to prove that he belonged. You know, guys that, you know, they had a couple of seasons here or there. They were trying to establish themselves. Brandon Perdue, who didn't play, who didn't, he wasn't at the club long, but he was a starter then. You had Ryan Nelson, obviously. This was his final season before going to the Premier League. Um, they started the year off with Bobby Convy, and he was trying to prove, I'm ready to jump. And so you have all these young guys. Aleko Skandarian, his second season, he's like, I'm a starter. Meanwhile, Santino Coranza, back on the team. I want to prove that I deserve to be playing this sport, let alone that I'm just, you know, trying to earn a spot on the team, that I should be playing this sport. And Jaime Moreno, trying to come back from a broken back injury, he should have won comeback of the player of the year, for F's sake. I say this every year we have this conversation. Every year. He should have been comeback player of the year. That year, I'm like, no, 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 no. That man, had a, that man came back from an injured back. No, he deserves play, comeback player of the year. But it had some – and then – and they kind of mentioned it. They, didn't, they said that there was a players-only meeting. But if you were watching, you were paying attention. It was when they brought in Christian Gomez. And he basically took over that spot that – that empty spot that was left by Lisele Quintanilla, that they were somewhat trying to force feed Freddie Adu in, but they put in a, a, a guy who was coming from Argentina, had something to prove that he knew he could play any position on the field, and Christian Gomez. And that guy helped put everything together, I think. Not saying that he was the best player on the team, but he was 
that final piece of the puzzle. That was that final piece they were missing. And they won five out of the last six, got the fourth place spot, and then just kept rolling through in the playoffs. Right. I think one of the other things that I found fascinating was Christian Gomez's first practice. When they said that he was terrible. <laughs> and that Ryan Nielsen said himself he was chewing out Dave Casper by saying, why'd you sign this guy? <laughs> Little did they know, two practices later, this man scored a hat trick. <laughs> and the funny part is, Dave Casper was then a scout. So he personally found Christian Gomez and said, yes, I'm going to bring this. I'm going to bring this to the big man, and we're going to bring Christian Gomez here. Kevin Payne's going to love this guy. And they brought him in, and the first two practices were not the best looks. <laughs> but no, um, Little did we know he'd be one of – I think he's one of the most underrated uh, underrated ML, uh, midfielders in MLS history altogether because if you think about it, what, the four or five years that he played in MLS in, in general – one of the best midfielders in the league. Right. How did you think they handled the Freddie Adu topic? You could tell they didn't want to really talk about it. They, I think they're all friendly with Freddie, and they think that Freddie may still have a chance. I think they were just trying to be nice. But how did you think they handled that? Yeah, they handled it pretty well. I love the stories that they tell, the few stories that they did tell. I think personally I love the fact that Freddie Adu was working with Michael Johnson and then Brian Wilson's like, the rest of us are just practicing, and he's over there taking sp- taking running lessons with uh, Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson, for those who don't know, at the time was the fastest sprinter in the world. <laughs> and so, also, he did a commercial with Pele, so you know. But also, that was a good point. It's like you're coming off of, you know, you're coming off of playing with the youth kids and everything. You want to work with your technique. You need to work with your teammates. And instead, you're learning how to sprint with the best sprinter in the world. I think you need to work on your technique. <laughs> but I think Ben is right. Like Ben said, while he didn't think it was a distraction, the whole experience as a whole was like the blueprint on how not to do this. And... I'll, you and I always talk about, like, if they were to start a 30 for 30, MLS 30 for 30, where do they go? It's Freddie Adu. Like, the whole experience, you could do a three-parter on Freddie Adu's whole career. And I think it'd get you get dozens of stories. It, but the, just the DC United part of it, I think, just Ben was right. Like, that was the stepping, you know, Andy Nahar didn't come into a bad situation. He came into a situation where they knew how to plug him in. Bill Hamid, same thing. You know, there were barely any, you know, academy kids that came in like, we don't know what to do with you. Ever since the Freddie Adu experiment, I think every club realized what they should do with young players going forward. Right. I think Ben Olsen also touched on it. It is like a testament of what was at the time. You know, there was no best under-16 team or D.C. United under-18 team at the time. It's like, okay, you're good enough. We're just going to throw you in there with the, in the Wolves and set and put and start you on your pro career at the age of 14. So it was more for Freddie to do that he was, lear- he was learning while on the job. Right. I did like... And we'll go forward to the MLS Cup and, you know, everything from there. And just overall our thoughts on revelations and things like that. I just liked how we ended up finding out. And I don't think DC and I did this on purpose. And if Kaya Pagan, if you're listening, please confirm. Did you guys purposely get the, 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 the three people who messed up on that first goal against Kansas City in the championship? Yes, it was Ben Olsen who lost the ball. It was Ryan Nelson who should have stepped up. And it was Nick Rivando who should have caught the ball. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, Nick, Nick Rivando's uh, defense, that was a – man, Borussia blasted the daylights out of that ball. <laughs> but, yeah, Nick Rivando should have caught it. So, yeah, I think that was like – wow, they did get the three people that messed up on that <laughs> first ball. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Did you guys do that on purpose? If you guys did, just just text me. I want to know. Um, 
<laughs> also, I did like Ryan Nelson calling out, and I know he did it his fun and laughs, but I love looking back at those the trophy photo to see the players that barely played. I'm looking at you, Troy Perkins. You didn't play a dang game. I'm looking at you, Elise Elkikora. Nana Kafour. That was, oh, man. <laughs> that hurt my feelings. That made it all the way to the front of the photo where Ryan Nielsen's literally lifting the trophy. He somehow made it to the front. And that man, I don't think he played that many minutes that whole season. Nana Kafour played more minutes the following season. Because everybody was gassed after the Real Madrid game. I know that for a fact. He played more, more minutes at the next season than he did in that season. Lisel Quintanilla injured the whole season. I don't even remember if it was broken leg or whatever this leg injury was. The mysterious leg injury he got at practice. As told by Spanish media, he broke his leg during sprint. I don't believe that. I think it was a different kind of knee injury. But that was always what it was told to be via Spanish media. But he, if you look at the, you everyone could Google this if you want. He's in the front of the trophy ceremony with Jaime Moreno. Why? <laughs> it should have been Christian Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been Gomito spot. How, how did you make it all the way up there? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I agreed, you know, it was funny to remember this. I also love the fact that they confirmed that the it was either Aleko Iskandarian's first goal or second goal where they said that he touched the ball with his hand. Oh, that's, like, that's no. accidental handball. That was an accidental handball. <laughs> I mean, Ryan Nielsen said that it was a possible accidental love handle, according <laughs> to him. But <laughs> I have that VHS, and I've seen that play billions of times. It hits off the elbow, and maybe part of a love handle. It's an accidental handball. It's not going to be called. Any referee is not going to call that. Even with VAR, they're not going to call it. was quick to say that was a handball. That's the fun part about that (laughs) whole play. Jimmy Conrad's looking back at the referee like, sir, handball. Like, yeah, I think I've seen it plenty of times. Yeah, that's an accidental handball. (laughs) Yeah, they're never going to call that. Um, I did love that you know, you should not have rented out a hotel space so they could celebrate like knuckleheads and that they got a bus driver to take them to Rodeo, was it Rodondo Beach? Rodondo Beach, yeah. Beach, yeah. And so it was, it was a fun listen. I love listening to these old stories, especially when it's a season like that that I remember and reminisce 100%. Um, also... One, Mm-hmm. Did you have the visual where Ben Olsen was talking about Risto Stoichkov in a bat in his robe showing all the young players <laughs> his highlight reel? What is this? And one? I just picture him just wearing a gold Versace robe, grabbing Ben Olsen to the side like, come here, stupid, sitting him down and just showing him his highlights. I believe that story um, because, funny enough, I was already going to talk about this. In that 2004 season, they had the uh, the All-Star game at RFK Stadium. I went. I uh, had a free ticket off the radio. Uh, went. And, um, I should have listened to the radio that day. And I went to the – we went to both games. We went to the – so they had a Legends game before. And then they had the actual All-Star game. And we get to – we watch in the Legends game, and almost every player comes out. And so we're trying to get autographs like kids. And someone goes, hey, Landon, Landon Donovan, can I get an autograph? He, Landon's like, no. Jorge Campos told me to watch. I need to watch. This is a real player playing. This is Landon freaking Donovan saying this bullshit. He's like, he's like he basically got told by a legend, watch a real man play. <laughs> Meanwhile, what I was originally going to bring up, this is how crazy – there's either an AP photo of this, and I wish I could bury myself in AP photos just to see if I could find it. There's an AP Washington Post photo of Freddie Adu looking mad nervous at signing a woman's bra. He wasn't expecting her to go sign here and wasn't expecting it. And he was like, ma'am, I can't. 
Meanwhile, standing next to said woman with her breast uh, slightly showing with her bra out is a young Jose Mania standing there <laughs> <laughs> waiting for Freddie to do for an autograph. <laughs> it is the most hilarious thing on earth. And the thing I well, the reason I say that there should be there is an AP photo out there because Freddie Adu was being followed by an AP photographer. <laughs> and so I was like, oh no, this better not be on the because <laughs> I went with my uncle and my grandfather. He said, you can go down there. We're gonna go. They were sitting in section 315. They said, you can go down there. Your ticket's at 115 anyway. Just, you know, don't get yourself in trouble. And I would have loved to have had the photo, just for my memory's sake, but also I would have loved to have heard the reaction of my parents literally watching their son looking at a breast as a footballer struggles to sign a woman's <laughs> chest. I would have loved to have that would have been a great memento. <laughs> and if you were anything like my mom, she'd be like, Cuérate los ojos! Cover your eyes! What were you going to do then? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's fascinating, to say the least. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to close off, you know, Mario, what, what did you think of the conversation in general? And what's the one memory you remember the most of that season? Uh, so the conversation in general, I thought it was awesome. I love that it brought a lot more insight into that team in particular, uh, especially considering that Demma Kovalenko is a crazy person. That's one of the, that's one of my biggest takeaways and no one can take that away from me is that Demma Kovalenko is a crazy person and that, uh, all, and that also like they were able to, they were able to, to mesh it all together and get a trophy out of this. Uh, my favorite memory, I think it's in two parts, to be honest with you. One, I will all forever remember the 2004 Eastern Conference Final against the New England Revolution, because that game was absolutely insane. And I was also there. I didn't even realize it was an Eastern Conference Final until my uncle told me about it. But that game was nuts. And I think the second part is... Uh, watching the MLS Cup uh, at my, I was at my uncle's place watching, watching that game, and just getting to feel the sheer excitement of just watching DC United win an MLS Cup. I think just brought back a lot of like childhood memories to 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 say the least. Man, who knew that'd be the last time I'd watch DC United lift an MLS Cup? <laughs> well, I mean, I thought the whole conversation was fun in general. We need Nick Romando and more of these. I think he has a good memory. Also, Ryan Nelson, He, I want him back at the club more often. He's a great talker, and he has great memories. Obviously, Ben holds stories, and when he retires, he should just write a book. <laughs> I think he would, it would be great to read his his tales of being with this club. And I think it makes for really a good book or audio book if, you, if you'd want to do it. Um, but, you know, Favorite memory would have to be just watching that first game. I remember watching that first game and, you know, as a kid being anxious to see, you know, Jaime Moreno, like I said, was my favorite player and seeing him come back and knowing that he had going through back injuries and things like that, see him come back and just, and, and essentially with Freddie Adu watching was like, this is how the man plays. This is, this is the legend here. You're coming to my house and you could just see the crowd like, even the people that were there to see Freddie Adu were like, yo, who is this dude? And it was cool to find out. And like Ben kind of mentioned it. It was like, it was cool to play in those stadiums where it was like 30,000. But they got to prove themselves as a team. And I think that that, that of general, it's good that we highlight that 2014. Sometimes it gets out of the four championships. I think that one gets kind of like hidden lost. in a way. And lost, exactly. Just either from the fan base or because some people stopped watching because the 2000s were kind of weird for DC United. But I think that 2014 was something special. It was It was like the last chance team. You know, Ernie Stewart retired after that season. Demo Kovalenko wasn't the same anymore. I think he retired for two seasons or three seasons later. You know, it was after Hister Stoikov, after Marco Echeverri. But I think that that team was the last of a dying breed. And then 2005 was a great season, but doesn't get as recognized either. It's like the 90, 
2005 season ended in a whimper. It ended in a whimper. Yeah, but I think the 2005 and, 2000, and the 1998 team, those two teams, while they lost, were so freaking good. And 97 and 2004 were the building blocks to those awesome seasons. Now, we didn't get a 99 right after that, but for those who remember 2004, 2005, like 2005 was crazy. And the, the way they played, they went on a, an 15-game unbeaten run. I think was the number. So, and they won the supporter shield. So, I, I just that whole that season was amazing. It was a fun time as a kid. I love reminiscing. And yeah, that first game, watching everybody back in the building, I wasn't there, but I wish I was. It was it was awesome just to watch. Uh, I was supposed to go, but I got grounded. <laughs> good good job. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> So before we go, Mario, tell the people where they can find you. All right. If you really want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. And if you want to read any of my stories, you can catch those on El Tiempo Latino. You can find them on Twitter as well, at El Tiempo Latino and on ElTiempoLatino.com. And if you want a hard copy, an actual newspaper, you can grab them wherever you stop at your local metro station. Yeah, and with games coming up soon, you know, Mario's going to start writing again. I'll start writing again for Sports Pulse and other outlets. So just keep an eye on me. Follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more information. But thank you, as always, for tuning into the Bad Hombres FC podcast. Special shout out and thanks to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro music. Remember, rate, subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, all listening platforms. Mario, it was good talking to you. And thank you guys once again for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Adios.